Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Life. Are you growing with it or feeling left out? Either way or in between, you're in the right place today with the host of Change Already, Your Future, Your Choice, Jillian. She's an award-winning author and radio personality. She's warm, she's fuzzy, and she's got an attitude. We're all familiar with the saying, the devil made me do it. For most of us, it's a a frivolous, off-the-cuff statement we use to describe our unbecoming behavior. Yet for others, a small majority of sick-minded people, a statement they take quite literally. It's a way of blaming others and something other than themselves for carrying out acts of despicable evil. It's hard to comprehend a mind so vested and lost in this spiritual folklore translation yet savvy enough to manipulate and offend the purest connection we hold sacred, the bond between humans and a higher God source. It's a statement apropos to introduce my next series entitled Serial Killers and Spirituality. Now, I've already got some feedback from the rest of you out there that are shaking your heads going, how ish in the world does this topic fit into my normal programming of all things lovely, angels and rainbows and unicorns? But when I started thinking about it, believe it or not, it's true reality that the connection is quite simple. If you sit back and you think about it, everything we do, we feel and act eventually can be traced back to our soul choices the spirit and how we choose to express it and the way we choose to live it. So I've dedicated the whole month of May. Walk with me on this and see if we can figure this out together. We're going to take a closer look into the psyche of some of the most perverse people on this planet, serial killers. I've invited an eclectic group of experts to join us on the subject. Some are authors who've had first-hand conversations with several of well-known serial killers that we all know by name. A distant relative of a notorious killer, a notorious killer from the 1800s. I want to know how he feels about being linked to such a criminal history of great proportion. And lastly, I want to finish up the series with a minister, and you know I'm ready for that, <laughs> discussing the possibilities of redemption and forgiveness for these lost souls among us. So the other day I was out shopping, and I was at my regular stomping ground, and this woman came up to me and she said, you know, I saw your posting. They're going to be hosting a series on serial killers. And then her voice got really, really quiet. And she whispered in my ear that she's always been drawn and fascinated by the story of serial killers. And I, too, admitted that as a younger one, I, too, was kind of enthralled by this whole obscene kind of reality that they've created around there. 
so I started doing research, and I found out that I wasn't alone in this strange and odd curiosity. In fact, there's dozens of scientific studies out there that back our overt a strange appeal to this odd sense of serial killers and what they do. So I started looking at their background, and I realized that the fascination was beyond what I even thought. So my first guest, believe it or not, I did a Google search on him, and his name is Dr. Scott Vaughn, and he comes up as the number one authority right now in the country. Did you know that, Dr. Vaughn? No, I did not. (laughs) Google yourself, sir. Anyway, (laughs) he is an expert criminologist. He's a university professor at Drew University. He's an author several times over, and more importantly for our discussion today, he's a crime analysis extraordinaire. I want to start out, Dr. Bond, thank you for bringing and coming on air with us. I know people are a little confused, but we'll get through this, and I think you're going to be able to make them understand how it fits in with my own spirituality and how it works. Where do you think this fascination for the macabre serial killer business comes from? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. And, um, oh, you're welcome. And uh, as I look forward to our discussion here, and 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 this, you know, your your question basically is the is the uh, central question of my book that I am that I'm working on right now. And the and the title of that book, if you'll allow me to throw out a little promo, oh, well, is, is it's called uh, Monster Dearest. Our macabre fascination with serial killers. So it's it's really exactly what your question is all about. Um, so thank you. And um, uh, it, 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 this is a you know this is a multifaceted uh, 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 response to to your question because I don't think there is just one definitive black and white answer. There there's the the, the fascination comes at different levels. I think that there, at, at a certain level, there's this visceral aspect of it. And what I mean by that, uh, we, we as adults are drawn to these macabre stories almost like children are drawn to uh, monster movies and, um, and roller coaster rides. It's an adrenaline rush. You know, it, it, it gets the blood pumping. And there's, uh, there's this excitement factor by this, this uh, almost incomprehensible um, individual. And, and at another level, it's a it's a whodunit story, you know. Um, Jack the Ripper, 125 mm-hmm. years after his uh, his murders in uh, in London, we're still trying to figure out who he was. He's he's it's probably the greatest whodunit of all time, and we we love to play detective. And in fact, one of my very dear friends, uh, retired NYPD detective uh, named, named Dave Carbone, who actually worked on the on the Son of Sam case, I I asked Dave that question. I said, "What's the fascination? Why you know why are people?" drawn to these individuals and he said well I think the the fascination of the average person is the same as me uh, as as a detective, as a homicide detective. I want to know why. And he gave me this great quote for my book, Jillian, which is the why is the wow. And uh, and Ooh. I think he's, yeah, isn't that great? I mean, I think that I think is that, that is uh, that's really what it's all about. You know, we, he said we love to play armchair detective, we the public, and um, even criminologists like myself, and we like to try to solve these stories, you know. So I guess what I'm saying is there's a certain entertainment value to it all, but then there's a different side. There's a, I think there's a psychological side, and, and we, we, it's so hard for us 
who get up in the morning and pay our bills and try to live a good life and and try not to hurt other people, try to live by the golden rule. It's hard for us to understand how someone could possibly stalk and and uh, and 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 capture and and perhaps torture, kill, mutilate um, not just one person but a series of people. Do it over and over. We it's it's incomprehensible to us. So I think that we're we're drawn to that um, to understand that dark aspect of humanity because like it or not, these individuals are still human. They're not mechanical monsters. They're they're not uh, demons you know brought up from hell. They are flesh and blood, and they are other people. And so I think there's a deep need to understand this dark side that, you know, potentially exists in all of us. I agree with what you're saying. And, you know, Americans in general, Scott, love to have answers to questions. Yep. We are not people that live very well with the unexplainable. No, we hate ambiguity. They do. And, you know, I don't know if the world feels that way because I've been in other places, but it is that internal sense of asking the question, why? Mm -hmm. And I think Americans in particular hone in on that no matter how disgusting or perverse the answer to the question is, I think you're on to something there, that we want to know the answers to these questions and the fascination of who, who, how do you raise a kid like that? I mean, just the idea of somebody having a child that becomes this mm-hmm. is just, as a mother, blows my mind. Yeah, well, absolutely, and um, you know, the, and the interesting thing is that if you look at the at the backgrounds of some of these individuals, um, one comes to mind uh, Ed Kemper, who was known as the co-ed killer out in California. Now he had a terrible upbringing. He was he was tortured as a child. He was molested. He had an absolutely horrible upbringing, and so to a certain extent, you can say, okay, well, we can see how he might have gone, you know, gone wrong. But there are others who had, you know, essentially, um, uh, you know, fine upbringings, middle class upbringings, weren't weren't tormented, weren't abused, and uh, you know, for example, um, uh, John Wayne Gacy is an example, and um, and um, Dennis Rader, who I've been in contact with. The BTK killer. These were these were individuals who weren't tormented as you know as children, and yet they grew up to become uh, these you know terrible killers. So yes, it is perplexing. And you, you know you mentioned um, the the fascination with the with the why and 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 mm-hmm. and the and the fact that we as a public aren't really good with ambiguity. Uh, we we like mm-hmm. answers. We like black and right. white. We like really right. really definitive answers. And so there's this tendency, and this is. going to be a big part of the discussion in my book is that we as a society tend to immediately just label these individuals, these serial killers, as monsters and as pure evil. And and by doing that, we really eliminate the need to look deeper and say, why do they happen in the first place? They're, you know, why, how, how does this evolve? The, these are human beings. Why would this happen? If, by simply saying that they're essentially one-dimensional uh, caricatures of, of, of evilness, we... It, we don't have the responsibility to try to figure them out and um, because we've already figured it out. They're just pure evil. And so it's simplistic. It's overly simplistic. And um, uh, But at the same time, I think it helps to relieve the anxiety, which is why immediately when, when one of these individuals emerges, the first thing that you see in the papers is evil monster strikes. <laughs> 
you know. And, uh, and, um, and And as I said, I believe that that's a very much of an oversimplification but but as a society we need to do that because we 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 uh uh we 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 don't like having to exist in a gray area where we don't really understand we want to we we want to be able to say we figured it out he's just a monster that's the way it is now move on and you know we're in this mindset right now with all that's going on Scott is that with the gun control and everything else the problem here is this group of people that we're talking about, there's no way to identify when these people are going to strike or what, you know, we can look at their background, we can understand what what's going on with them to a certain extent, but you can't classify them and, and the kind of um, atmosphere that's going on in the world right now is there's no way to detect when these guys are going to strike like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, these individuals that we're talking about, the, the uh, John Wayne Gacy's, the, the, the um, Son of Sam's, the, the uh, BTK's, they're very, very different than, than um, these, uh, you know, terrorists or individuals that, are, you know, that we might be seeing in the headlines now or, or even mass murderers for that, for that uh, right extent. Up. James Holmes out in, in Colorado, the, uh, the guy who shot up the theater, um, a mass murderer, he, his motivations are very, very, very different than, than, than a serial killer. Serial killers, I, as, as a criminologist and as someone who also studies drug addiction and, and um, other forms of substance abuse, I, I liken the serial killer motivation more to an addiction. They, they are compelled, they are obsessed with the notion of killing, and every now and then it just becomes insatiable. It, it, it becomes overwhelming to the extent that the only thing that will satisfy it is to go out and kill. And then for a time, it, uh, they, they uh, are able to blend back into their seemingly normal life until that hunger just rises up again and they can't control it. That, so that's very, very different than the motivation for most homicides in the, in the United States. Most homicides uh, actually occur, and I don't mean to, <laughs> don't want to frighten your, you know, your listeners, but they're actually among people who know one another. The crimes of passion, um, in the heat of passion, where someone gets uh, um, drunk and and pulls out a gun at home, that's much more likely to be the uh, the, the scenario for a death in this country than than as a result of a serial killer or a terrorist, for that matter. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, great. Well, that's encouraging news. You know, and when I was doing the research, and I love researching stuff like this, um, one of the things I did find was this thread of spirituality, i.e. religion or lack thereof, or they connect it, like you said, an obsessiveness. In the case we're going to talk next week about Son of Sam, which you personally were able to get to, to be, have a witness with, he attributes a lot of his stuff to the occult the opposite. That's why I started with this whole devil business. So there is this strange link to some kind of higher power guiding them to do these awful crimes. Well, absolutely. And um, the uh, a, a classic example of... Um, 
uh, a serial killer who was guided by a force that he didn't understand is another uh, uh, guy that I, that I have been corresponding with and I've gotten to know pretty well is um, Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, by, which stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. And he named himself. He's a narcissist. He would write letters to the police and, and uh, newspapers. And I asked him, I, I, I said, Dennis, what, you know, what drove you? What was the motivation? And he actually has a name for it. He calls it Factor X. And what Factor X is, is, a, is an insatiable need, an insatiable desire that he fully uh, admits he doesn't understand. He said when it would come over him, there was simply no denying it. And he, he can't even dis- describe it other than to say that he knows when it happens. And when it, when it happened, he was, he was um, uh, compelled to kill. And he now... Uh, is a true, true psychopath. I mean, just completely yeah. unplugged from society. He has no empathy. He has no ability to have normal mm-hmm. feelings. And uh, But yet he can mimic them quite well, which is why he functioned for years in society and had a family and, and was a civic leader and Boy Scout leader and church leader. I mean, it's it's crazy, but he functioned that way. And um, But what he did is he sustained himself actually for months and sometimes years at a time by reliving his experiences with dolls and, and souvenirs, uh, trophies that he would keep from his murders. He would relive the experience and was able to, again, satisfy himself enough that in some instances he didn't have to go out and kill. So at some level, he was trying to actually keep himself from, from killing. Uh, but... Um, but yet he's such a narcissist that he actually wants credit for that and, and saying that, that um, it could have been much worse. He might have killed many more people if he hadn't have found this autoerotic way to satisfy himself. So I guess he's asking us to praise him for, you know, not killing more. But that's Dennis. He's a, he's a psychopath. You know, and one of the things I'm confused by, you know, when I started as an intuitive and we were talking about this a little bit before we got on air, I had a client, one of my first when I started out, to do some intuitive work for her. And it was a murder uh, situation. And it was just so overwhelming for my psyche, Scott. I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I said, Mm -hmm. this is the end of what I'm going to do in this work. I get it all the time, ask questions. The question I have for you is, how do you stay detached and grounded to your, uh, you must have some kind of spiritual grounding in there to understand this is your destiny because it's, I always talk about everybody having their own destiny and obviously you've triggered into something that's bigger than where you thought you were going. How do you personally stay detached and conscious of all this strange stuff around you? Well, that's a great question, and and to answer your question, Jillian, I do consider myself a spiritual person, and right. I, I and and I do believe that things happen in life for a reason, and um, my initial interest in uh, in this whole project in this in this area was very much um you know asking that question why the fascination because i i fall into that into that group i am fascinated by the you know by this by this uh, compulsion to kill and this dark side of of the human condition if you will and but as i've gone further and further into it um and i've and i've seen some some things that I didn't expect, uh, like uh, the son of Sam, uh, David Berkowitz, who has become a born-again Christian. It it really has 
taken on a different form now and and what i'm seeing is that uh these these are still human beings and they uh they they um uh, while they've done horrible things and in david berkowitz's case he he fully um admits it and he's actually quite remorseful now um they're 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 troubled themselves, and, and I see them as not these one-dimensional sort of cartoon characters, but these are actually complex human beings, and, and like it or not, they're it's still children of God. If you, to the extent that you believe in a higher power, and I do, these are still children of God, and they may be children of God who were led astray and, and, and uh, led down a dark path, but... I personally don't believe anyone is beyond salvation, even the son of Sam. And um, so my journey has taken on a different, uh, you know, slightly different uh, path now uh, as I've gone through this. And but it's it's been amazing. And I so I, in terms of grounding myself or 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 uh, um, I guess uh, being able to you know to deal with these issues, I just remind myself that these. These are fallible human beings, and and I am a fallible human human being. And who am I to judge someone else? Well, to be honest with you, I think you and I are on an island by ourselves with very few people that would actually buy into that concept. I, too, believe in that. But, you know, where do you cross the line? And the interesting thing about it is that you're okay with taking on that destiny. I mean, because that's a pretty big place to find your career moving you talked about your book and it sounds like your book started the new one monster dearest started in one direction and you're taking it into another can you expound on that a little bit yeah sure sure absolutely the um this book it really started with that question why the fascination of uh the public with serial killers and you know myself included and i yeah. originally reached out to two two serial killers to get their if you will expert insights as you know as serial killers <laughs> themselves and those yeah, being I guess so yeah absolutely go to the source um yeah. and and so David Berkowitz the son of Sam and Dennis Rader BTK and I specifically picked those two individuals because they are two of the most infamous serial killers uh, in, in history and they uh, they they named themselves. They actually came up with their own pseudonyms, uh, BTK and, and and Son of Sam. And they did it by writing letters to the to the police and the and the press saying, "Catch me if you can." They they enjoyed the game, the cat and mouse game. And yeah. and this is part of my book because I want to understand the processes through which these individuals become turned into almost these uh, ghoulish rock stars on the public stage, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and I wanted to understand that. We turned them into these, like, Dracula characters. And um, and then along the way, of course, as I was corresponding with, with Berkowitz, and I realized that, that, that he actually has um, uh, had this uh, uh, been, been reborn as a, as a Christian, and he now corresponds with people all over the world. Uh, and, and, and he has a, a website that's maintained for him called ariseandshine.org, and he's had hundreds of thousands of people come to visit his website where he's expressed remorse and uh, has put out a message of, of redemption, and he seems to have become 
something of a, uh, a lightning rod for this notion of, of, of uh, redemption despite all the odds. And um, now I'll tell you, Jillian, you know, as you know, one professional to another, not everyone, not everyone likes what I'm saying. Not everyone likes the uh, no. uh, the no. uh, you know this approach. And and I've had you know people really get very adamant and say, how dare you say that this individual is anything other than pure evil? And uh, my response to that is, you know, I uh, I have my own experience. I've sat before this man or with this man for almost five hours recently and um, there's a light in his eye and a, and, a, and, a, and a youth and a vitality and a sense of remorse and, uh, and um, love is the only way I know how to put it that is incomprehensible to me and as a social scientist who likes statistics and data I, I don't have the tools to evaluate it and, but I will tell you this is that it seems real it seems sincere and he broke down crying in front of me when we talked about the, the murders and the, the pain that he's caused. And, and he said he would do anything to, to undo it. And um, so, again, I, I say, who am I to, um, you know, to say that this isn't true? Your job is not to make a judgment call, but it does seem, Scott, that you don't get at the level of expertise where you're at with some kind of empathic feeling, in mm-hmm. other words, intuitive gut stuff. Mm-hmm. When you work with these people, especially for us, Dan, we're going to talk about next week, but do you get that gut feeling when you're in the presence of that kind of evil? Does it feel different? Can you tell the difference between, irregardless of what's on the paper and the scientific part of it, Scott, does it feel in your heart and soul that they are evil or they're transferring to evil or can you tell can you personally tell the difference in your own empathic way yeah, i believe the answer is yes and it i don't even have to be in in person i mean just in the writings yeah. that i get from right. from btk from dennis rader um dennis is a is a complete psychopath he's completely unremorseful and he likens himself to a venomous snake or uh or a scorpion and he justifies his own killings by saying that's what I do I'm a predator you know so how you dare you mm-hmm. society judge me when this is what I was born to do he sees he sees himself as a natural born killer and of course that's a convenient um uh uh uh, rationale, you know, rationalization for him on his part. But um, he sleeps like a baby at night because he's a predator and that's what he does. And uh, uh, whereas Berkowitz, it, it's completely different. It started with his, um, it started with our letters and then phone calls and then our visit in person. And um, there's there's a genuine warmth uh, about him. And and by the way, I'm not the only one who feels this way. There there there's other people in the criminal justice system um, uh, who have been who have been moved by their interactions with him. And I. You know, again, I, I've, I've worked with uh, people in recovery, dr- uh, drug addicts, alcoholics, and there is almost like this sense of recovery uh, about David. Um, it's almost he, he expresses a spiritual void that he always felt in his, in his life, and he was drawn to Satan because he was looking for something, and 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 somehow it became twisted. And he thought that by killing, he, somehow Satan would would fill him up and and remove the the pain and torment that he had felt throughout his life. And and of course that was a you know it became a compulsion in his mind. But 
he said what happened after about 10 years in, in prison. He fell on his knees one night. He didn't think he was going to make it anymore. He wanted to die. And he, he, for the first time in his life, he cried out. And he said, God, please help me. I, I can't make it. And I'm, you know, I ask for your, you know, your forgiveness. And he said he remained on his knees for about a half an hour. And when he stood up, he said his life was changed. He went to bed and slept for the first time um, in, in decades, had a good night's sleep. And when he woke up in the morning, this was all the way back in 1987 now, he said he knew his mission, and that was to try to find a way to simply serve God and other people as best he could from his prison cell. And he's been doing that now since you know 1987 to the best of his ability. And so again, actions speak louder than words. And and David is is trying to use his life in a positive way now, and he has nothing to gain from it. He he's not going to be paroled. He he doesn't get an extra serving of chocolate pudding for doing this. You know, he nothing, and he he just believes that it's his lot in life, and and that he owes it for um, having been been um, redeemed. You know, or having his his sins lifted is the way he sees it. And um, so again, you know, I say uh, why not? You know, I I. I I truly believe. I mean, again, this is this is more, I guess, spirituality than than the criminologist in me talking. But who is beyond who is beyond redemption? Who what 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 person cannot be saved? Cannot be touched? I mean, that's the way um, the way I see it. But uh, but but then it's also actions speak louder than words. And and assuming that that happens, what do you do with your um, you know with with that gift? And I see him doing some very positive things. Next week, we're almost done. I want to follow up on that because that was a great beginning to next show. Obviously, we can't get it all in because we have so much to talk about. Next week, I want to talk about your personal fear coming up against evil. You know, a lot of people fear evil mm-hmm. and are afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And, but yet, you get to the point, I think, Scott, where you're so solid in your own spirituality that you have to be able to stand not against evil, but understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you did with Son of Sam and these, this other character. And I want to talk about, is it okay for spiritual people to accept things we don't understand? Mm-hmm. We Great. say that we want we want to talk about it. We want to believe in spiritual conversion. But when it happens, boy, are we the skeptics. Well, that sounds uh, like you said a great segue into next week, and I'd love to talk to you about that. All right. So we will see each other next week, same time, high noon Blog Talk Radio. But between now and then, remember this. Change doesn't have to be difficult, but it is necessary to grow. Join me next week for the second part of Dr. Scott Bond. Thanks for joining Jillian today. Don't miss her famous at-home personal enrichment lessons. You can complete them on your own time to accelerate your personal change. They're simple and nothing like you've experienced before. Just like Jillian, warm and fuzzy with an attitude. So change already. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.